Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. And just take me a minute to fix my notes here. This is what happens when you talk too long out in the church front. The year was 19, I'm sorry, 1856, and there was an artist, his name is Auguste Bartholdi, and he was vacationing in Egypt, and he was overwhelmed by what he saw, the grandeur of the pyramids, the the stateliness of the Sphinx, and the beauty of the Nile all filled him with awe. And while he was there on vacation, he ran into another man named Ferdinand, who was proposing a canal that would begin at the Red Sea and cut through the desert and ultimately join the Mediterranean, saving merchants the time and effort of the long journey to go around the tip of Africa. You might be familiar with that canal. It's called the Suez Canal. And Bartholdi, the artist, was inspired by that plan to build the canal, so much so that he designed a lighthouse that he wanted to put at the entrance of the Red Sea. It was going to be a symbol of art and would symbolize the light of the Western civilization flowing east. And he worked on it for more than 10 years, drawing up plans and molding clay models. But he had to scrap his plan after 10 years because no one would fund him. His lighthouse would have been a huge robed lady standing taller than the Sphinx. With one hand, she would hold the Book of Justice and in the other, a torch. But again, no one would pay for it. There would be no lighthouse. So discouraged and disheartening, he returned to his country of France and believed that those 10 years were wasted. But back home, the French government sought him out and said, hey, we want to give America a gift. And they chose his lighthouse, and it now stands in the New York Harbor, and you would know it probably as the Statue of Liberty. Now, the Statue of Liberty was originally designed to stand on the shore of the Red Sea at the entrance of this canal. But now it stands in a harbor in New York and has become a symbol of liberty for the world for more than a hundred years. Well, what we're reading today in Exodus 14 is another symbol of liberty. And it's not a statue, but it's an event. An event that down through the centuries has represented the power of God to give liberty and freedom to his people. It wasn't a statue standing on the shores of the Red Sea. It was the image of more than one million people crossing on dry land through the Red Sea. And before parting of the Red Sea, Moses turned to the Israelites and said, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord the deliverance he will bring to you today, and the Egyptians you see, will, you will never see again. I love that line. You see those Egyptians, you will never see them again. A great story, a powerful telling of the mighty hand of God. I think how exciting it would have been to have been there, 
to see the walls separate and the water move, to see people pass through on dry ground. But now this is the thing, right? The Israelites, they weren't so excited about it, about being there at that moment. In fact, they would rather have been anywhere else. And they turn to Moses, and this is what they say. They say, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? You see, they were terrified. They were panicked. They were filled with fear. They wanted to be any place but where they were right then. And it's not hard to understand why they were so afraid. You know, if I asked you to get out your phone right now, Um, and call up on Google Maps, we could look actually at that beach that they're standing on. One million people. And you'd see on Google Maps that there's just a valley, one narrow canyon that goes down to that beach. So there's only one way in and one way out. And at the top of that valley, at the top of that canal, was the Egyptian army. There's only one way off. The Israelites couldn't make their way back down the canyon. And in their minds, it was only a matter of hours before the Egyptians swooped down and slaughter everyone in sight. There was no way out. At this point, Moses turns to the people and says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of our Lord, which he is going to work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, And you only have to be silent. Fear not, stand firm, and be silent. You know, when your back is against the wall, and you've run out of options, that's a lot easier said than done, to fear not, to stand firm, and be silent. When faced with situations that we can't control, we do become afraid. We do get anxious and become nervous, And we want to change something or fix something. We want to be anywhere other than where we are. Have you ever been there? Well, in preparing for this message, I went to the theological resource of the world, Facebook. Okay? And uh, I found, I just came across something in a group that I uh, am a part of. And it says, not once does the Bible say worry about it, stress over it, or figure it out. But over and over again, it clearly says to trust God. But why shouldn't I worry? Why shouldn't I be anxious? I mean, I'm in a terrible place and I don't think I'll ever get out of my problem. I've got a reason to be anxious. What's wrong with that? Well, first, what's wrong with that is that you can't change anything by worrying. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 says, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? So my first point is that worrying doesn't fix anything. It just robs you of time and peace and strength. It makes you weak and vulnerable and prone to things you ought not to do. I don't know if you're like me, but um, you know when I'm stressed out, I like to eat a tub of ice cream. Things I shouldn't do, right? It, it puts you in that situation. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Are you stressed and worried about something? Well, secondly, worrying binds us 
to the one person who can fix the problem or at least help us through it. Perhaps the most powerful passage in Scripture says it this way, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The valley of the shadow of death. That's pretty much where Israel found itself at the Red Sea. It was a very real place of death. And you know what God's answer for them was? It was that I am with you. One of my favorite passages about this is in Philippians chapter 4. It says, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Why shouldn't I be anxious about anything? Because the Lord is near. You know, several years ago, I read an interesting article in Time magazine. It was about people who struggle with insomnia and getting to sleep at night. The writer noted that getting a prescription might not be the best idea. Now, this was Greg Jacobs, an insomnia expert at the Sleep Disorder Center. He said, it isn't that Ambien doesn't work. It's a pill designed to help people sleep. But in the study he published in the Archives of Internal Medicine, Jacobs and his colleagues showed that another treatment, a treatment called cognitive behavior therapy, works better. Jacobs went on to say, drugs like Ambien get you to sleep, but they don't get at the stress and anxiety, which are often the underlying causes of insomnia. He says, once you're off the drug, insomnia usually returns with a vengeance. And I noticed two things in that article. Stress and anxiety are often the underlying case of insomnia. And secondly, according to the experts, The best cure for chronic insomnia is cognitive behavior therapy. You know what that is? Well, it's when you help people to think differently. But centuries before these experts, and they came up with this saying, this this wording of cognitive behavior therapy, God had already prescribed the very thing for his people. The Lord is near. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you won't have to be anxious or fearful because he's right there with you. That's why there's this beautiful promise in Psalm 127. It says, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those that he loves. All we need to do is realize that he is there and he's not going anywhere. So first, worry doesn't fix anything. Secondly, it blinds you to the one who can fix what is wrong or at least see you through that. And third, fear is often based on wanting what I want. The Israelites wanted out of Egypt and they had good reason to want that. It had been a place of slavery and heartache and despair. And so God sent them the deliverer Moses who led them out of slavery. They have seen the power and the plagues God put upon the Egyptians. They've seen the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that had led them through the land. They had seen various acts of God to provide their needs. But now they've come to the edge of the Red Sea. The army of Egypt is nearly upon them, and they're beginning to have second thoughts. They're beginning to think, well, back in Egypt wasn't so bad. Was it because there, this is a quote 
from Exodus 14. It says, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us to bring us out of Egypt? And that becomes the repeated theme for them as they wander the desert. When they don't get what they want, when they want it, and how they want it, they begin to pine for the good times back in Egypt. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, they said. There we sat with pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but now you have brought us out in the desert to starve us. But then God gave them manna. And then they said, If only we had the meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, and also cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlics. But now we have lost our appetites. We never see anything but this manna. Then when they reach the promised land, they hear of the giants that were in the land, and they cry out, Why is the Lord bringing us to the land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Every time life gets hard, these folks repeat the same refrain. I want to go back to how things were. I want to go back to the good old days. I want to go back to Egypt. They were never happy because they wanted what they want when they want it. And as a result, they're seemingly always anxious, always fearful, and always afraid. You know, the only way for a believer to deal with fear is to begin to think like Jesus did. He was hanging on the cross and he said, not my will, but your will be done. Well, that's what we, le- we need to learn. God, I want what you want. Because if I got what I wanted, I might end up realizing I really don't want what I thought I wanted. And then I'll end up being really unhappy. So God, give me what you want in my life. Then stand still, wait on the Lord, and watch to see what he does. Moses tells this to the Israelites. The Lord will fight for you. You need to be still. Well, one last observation Probably for those of you who are older, you would remember Cecil B. DeMille's movie. Charlton Heston standing there and the waters are separating, right? Such a powerful movie. Well, the Israelites had no idea how powerful their story would be. They didn't know it was going to be in a movie. They didn't know we were going to be talking about it 2,000 years later. Well, years ago, I stumbled upon this verse from Joshua. That, that intrigued me. Just before Joshua led the people into the promised land, he sent two spies to look at the land, and especially to give a report about Jericho. But as they were looking through Jericho, they were discovered and ended up hiding in the roof of a woman. You might be familiar with the story. And after they're safe, she tells them this odd thing. She says, I know that the Lord has given, you, given this land to you, and that a great fear has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what he did in Sion and Og and the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, she says, and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, she says, please swear to me by the Lord 
that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. If you want to look that up, it's in Joshua chapter 2. But do you hear what she's saying? She's saying, we heard about your crossing the Red Sea and what he's done for you since. And Jericho is terrified of you because of what the Lord has done for you. Now you need to realize this is 40 years later after it happened. And this woman knows exactly what happened. She's heard the story over and over again. And they knew that God would come knocking at the door of Jericho. The story of the crossing of the Red Sea spoke to them 40 years after the event. And that story has continued to speak to God's people through the centuries. The mess in which Israel found itself that day at the Red Sea became their message. Their test became their testimony. Their trial became their triumph. And because of the power of God, they who had been victims in Egypt received the victory over their enemies. I want to return to Facebook for just a minute because this is another thing I found. And it said, only God could turn a mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into triumph, and a victim into victory. The thing that made the difference for Israel was not their strength or their numbers or their military might. In fact, Israel did nothing to destroy Egypt except to follow their God. Now, I want to close with this story of how Israel's trial in the Red Sea had the same effect on one woman. She was a missionary in China, and she had been forced to flee her area of assignment on the mission field in World War II when the Japanese army had invaded that part of China. However, she couldn't leave the people that she loved, the people that she had poured her life into, and especially the orphans that were part of her ministry. And with only one assistant to help her, she led more than a hundred children over the mountains to reach freedom. But at one point in their flight over those really difficult and challenging mountains, she was grappling with despair and it seemed like there was no hope and that they would not get away and they would never reach safety. But after one particular sleepless night in their journey, a 14-year-old orphan in that group came up to her and took her by the hand and the girl reminded the missionary of their much-loved story of Moses and the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. The missionary cried in despair, but I'm not Moses. The little girl said, of course you aren't, but Jehovah is still God. And they were set free. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the ability to look at this story of the crossing through the Red Sea. We can see your power. We can see your plan. And I pray that we, as people of God, would not fear. We would stand firm. And we'd watch and wait for you. I pray all these things in Christ's name.